0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Diamond Chronicles, tales of trade, trust and betrayal in the world's second oldest industry. My name's Colin David Ferguson. I am the Global Diamond Broker. I am here high atop the Marriott Hotel in downtown Vancouver today with my lovely assistant, Judy Lee. Wow, what a warm welcome. Thank you, Colin. Enjoy every minute with you, Judy. It's nice to see you back. Judy's really? been off for a couple of days with COVID, mm-hmm. right? So wink, she wink. tests negative, and, and so she's back to work. And apparently yes. she missed me a great deal, correct, Judy? Sure. Okay. <laughs> So today, we're going to take you on a bit of a journey that I think you'll find interesting. We're going to take you somewhere very, very, very few people in the world has ever been. Mm -hmm. And we're going to take you backstage at the Argyle Pink Diamond Mine, which is the mine itself is located just outside of Perth, Australia, Mm -hmm. with their amazing offices in downtown Perth. And by the way, Perth, Australia, to begin with, for me, and I've had the opportunity in the diamond industry to travel literally all over the world, um, is by far the second most beautiful city in the world. It might be number one, but I am in downtown Vancouver on a beautiful day looking out from 37 stories up. But Perth, Australia is this amazingly beautiful city. And so- um, How do you get there, Colin? Sorry to interrupt you. uh, To get there, to get to Perth? Mm it's, um, I've asked Judy to keep me on track because I talk a little bit too much. Really? I Did, have you noticed that? You talk that a lot? I, I, I had no idea. Really? You can't tell, right? Hey? <laughs> um, but, but on the way to Perth, uh, how to get to Perth, Australia. First of all, you got to get it to Australia, I guess, Judy, is mm-hmm. the number one thing. And all flights from here lead to Sydney. Right. And it takes me 24 hours when I fly to Perth, right? It takes 24 hours because it's 15 hours to Sydney, direct from from YVR, from Vancouver, and when you get there, though, you have to fly all the way to the other side of Australia, Mm -hmm. to Western Australia, where the mine's located and Perth is located, which is another four and a half hour flight, so you get there, you wait, you wait for your next flight, and then you're on, and then you're, you're in Perth. I always remember the first time I ever flew there we were heading into the city the mine had sent a car to pick me up and we were heading into the city and traffic was backed up and I said to the driver I said what's going on on the highway and he just heard on the news that a giant crocodile was sunning itself had laid across the highway And was unwilling to move and so traffic was backed up for miles it made me an hour late for my first uh, meeting in Perth but apparently crocodiles are an acceptable reason to be late so we finally got to the offices at Perth in Mm -hmm. downtown beautiful Perth and um, yeah it was quite an experience my first trip there Mm -hmm. and what was that like once you're in Perth and you know you're working behind the scenes in the argyle pink diamond mine can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah um i love talking about this actually because it's Mm -hmm. so fascinating it's not at all what people would think it would be backstage in in a diamond mine at a diamond mine firstly the mine itself is remote you have to take a plane a small plane to actually get on the ground at the mine and it's it's i don't know if people know this but it's strip mining it's the type of mining where basically diamond mines are big holes in the ground um, where they dig and, dig and dig and dig and dig and dig. And they're following these ancient, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, volcanoes, eruptions in the surface. And where all the diamonds up were trapped in the uh uh, eruption or in the ore that's there and they you know they start wide and go deeper and deeper and deeper until they can't go anymore and this is where they get all the diamonds from and then they'd ship to the, the diamonds to the sorting facility and so where I am in Perth is where all these rocks, these beautiful rocks, brown and pink and a little bit of white, not so much white in the Perth mine, are the Argyle mine are, um, are sorted. And so to answer your question, I get to the offices in downtown Perth, and the security is unbelievable. There's three separate doors to go through because basically behind there is, you know, billions of dollars worth of diamonds mm-hmm. and so and they're rocks so you've probably heard lots of stories about this and the industry has really upped its game over the years with technology in that department to make sure that the security second to none so by the time you get the pictures taken the body searches the, you know, walking through different doors and being interviewed as to who you are and what you're there for the first time. It's, it's quite an experience. And then they lead you into a room. And my first trip there, I didn't even get to see really backstage. So as a buyer of, from the mine in those days, and I had already worked with the, the Argyle Pink Diamond Mine from their office in Antwerp, Belgium. Where I'd had an office for 15 years, where you know Antwerp had been. I think we talked about this before. The center of the diamond universe for over 450 years, nearly 500 years, if you can imagine. And and I'd like you to imagine this and and see what it looks like in your minds, because it's really something. And so when I started in in Perth, uh, Patrick Coppins was the fellow that I dealt with. And I mean, these guys would leave me alone in a room full of diamonds and go to lunch and there would be piles of diamonds on the, the table for me to sort through and pick from and make decisions on. Um, from there, the relationship grew to the point where I ultimately became an authorized partner for the mine. And we did a lot of work together with the mine in those days. Um, I say those days, it's a decade ago, um, not so long ago, where we did charity work and we raised money together for the, they flew to our offices here in Vancouver, they mm-hmm. had people from the mine to um, to uh, to work with us to raise money for the Breast Cancer Foundation. But to answer your question, Judy, you walk through the front doors of this place, by the time you get through security, you're put in a little room. There I guess you'd call them salesperson comes in with boxes full of pink diamonds. And I would sit there and for, you know, thirty six or forty eight hours we would sort through diamonds the whole time, just working. You'd work straight through? Well, I would work straight through because what I would have to do is spend the time looking at the actual stones. Because there's no two of these alike. Mm-hmm, that's right. And, you know, m- my clients have very discerning tastes, as you know. They, what we deal in is the most beautiful mm-hmm. in the world. You know, I had this fundamental belief that the only return on a diamond is beauty, and so I would have to sit there and paint over it, and you know, we weren't allowed to take any pictures in there, by the way. There's Mm -hmm. no carrying a camera or any of that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. It's strictly prohibited, as you can imagine, for security reasons. So you look at diamonds all day, and then what? So then I would go back to the hotel. And I would sit there, and I would see hundreds of diamonds during a day. Remember, on one of these buying trips, I would spend up to two million dollars buying pink diamonds from the Argyle diamond mine. And so wow. I would literally—I have the invoices here. We'll post them so people can see them. Crazy, crazy. crazy. And so, but it's very serious business. And so I would go th- through the diamonds all day looking at each one individually, Mm -hmm. painting over them, going back and forth and making decisions. And, you know, think about this with white diamonds, De Beers, the big diamond Goliath for forever, and the the biggest diamond company in the business, they sort to 14,000 different grades. And when you get into colors of, of pink and blue and green, in this case, pink and red, mostly, it just expands so much. So there's so much to consider to buy one diamond. I mean, mm-hmm. these are the rarest, most concentrated forms of wealth on earth. And so um, so yeah, it was it was difficult. And if I was on the ground thirty six or forty eight hours, which was normal, I would spend most of the time looking at the stones during the day when the offices were open, and then in the evenings taking my notes, because no pictures taking my notes and going through my notes and trying to figure out which ones I should acquire for the company and for investors. And then back on the plane, which is kind of fascinating. And, uh, you know, when you do this, when I talk about it, it really does sound interesting. When I was doing it, it was my job. Right. Right? And it's still my job. But, you know, I'll tell you this. There's certain diamonds that you see that you look at, and, you know, you can have all the certificates and the grading reports that you want on a stone. You can have two identical grading reports on a white diamond or a pink diamond, and have, you know, two diamonds that on paper are identical, but due to all these other things that the industry really doesn't include for some reason today, the technological things that that we can actually measure today, um, one diamond will be very much more beautiful and so very much more sought after than another on that basis. And this is where, you know, we've talked about it many times. Beauty is a nebulous thing, Mm -hmm until you see it everybody knows what it is when they see it you know when you're out there and see these beautiful diamonds that seem to sparkle those are the ones that i sit at the mine and look for okay and and it's it's fascinating stuff so yeah so that's 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 how the buying process would go the next trip i was at the mine was even more interesting because I got to go where very, very, very few people have ever gone, I think I'm still the only Canadian ever to have been there, and it was backstage to the cutting and the sorting and the distribution of these pink diamonds itself. How do they cut them? How do they cut the diamonds? So the diamonds come in from the mine, you guys. And, and I'm, not, I'm still prohibited to talk about the way this all went down as a part of a contractual agreement. But the diamonds, let's say, would come from the mine and get to the office in Perth. Now, in the office in Perth, they did all their own cutting and manufacturing of each individual pink diamond the brown diamonds the ones that weren't great quality I mean Perth is is well known or or I guess Argyle is well known for the the rarest in the world and the most common in the world which ended up being the brown ones which were mostly used in um, industrial applications but the pink ones you know the first time I ever walked in there it's kind of like a funnel to sort the the grades of pink. And at one end, there's these machines where you pour the diamonds in as rocks. They run through the machines. The machines literally individually sort the colors. It's all technology again. It's all lasers looking at the color of the stone and measuring it. And then there would be these buckets, these five-gallon plastic buckets. You can't use steel for diamonds because, remember, diamonds are the hardest naturally occurring substance. They eat through steel, right? So they literally, they would be the first pink bucket would have this light sort of hue to it. And as you went the maybe 10 buckets in a row from that shipment, the pink would saturate more and more and more. And like literally these machines are spitting them into the buckets. And the last bucket, as you go down, because they become more rare, the last bucket with the pinkest pinks and the reds would have the least in it. And those are the rarest stones so the machines were doing the the sorting all of the sorting for the cutting then even the process to cut a diamond people probably still have this image in their mind of Mm -hmm. you know the cutter's wheel where the only thing that would scratch or cut a diamond is another diamond Mm -hmm. and this is how well none of that at Mm -hmm. perth none of that for argyle pink diamonds they were all cut using really i mean i guess you got to call it artificial intelligence Mm -hmm. AI Mm -hmm. because what they would do then is take each individual rough and put it on a, I'll call them machines, Mm -hmm. Um, and the machine itself would do all the measurements using lasers of the best way to cut it, the best maximum use of the diamond. Again, there's no human involvement minor human human involvement I guess you pick them up and put them on and take them off but then in front of you on a computer screen an image of that diamond would come up showing you how to maximize the weight of the diamond it would pick the shape because remember these are rocks you know, they don't pick the shape of a diamond that's cut by going, oh gee, I'm gonna cut a round cut diamond or an emerald cut diamond or a or, or a marquee cut diamond today. It's all predicated on maximizing the weight of the diamond. Mm-hmm. And so on the computer screen would come maximum use of this stone. It would take into consideration the clarity of the diamond, the birthmarks in the diamond and where they were and whether to keep them in or take them out. And then they would kind of, it's interesting, Pour all these diamonds, now that they have this way that they're going to cut and form each piece of rough, each rock, into a final manufactured diamond, and it's all done by lasers. So, you know, it's absolutely incredible. So you kind of go home, leave them in the machine all night, come back in the morning, and there's all these cut diamonds. (laughs) They're all cut, exactly. Then one thing Argyle did, which is was brilliant i think is verify each stone so in each argyle diamond to know you have an argyle diamond there's ways to verify it today and these are one of these things that you know when when we talk with our clients about here you've got to make sure your argyle pink diamond is verified at argyle at the Mm -hmm. mine and we show our clients how to do this so they understand that the stone that they're acquiring is the actual stone that it is Mm -hmm. okay so yeah it's all very very technical it's all very very cool stuff and you know this is 10 years ago and it's interesting that the technology still has not made it past the mines There are companies out there that do nothing but help the industry understand what it's looking at and cut and maximize. But, you know, our clients are still... L- l- using the four Cs of diamonds—of cut, color, clarity, and carrots just such an outdated system. L- like now, outdated, right? but it's this whole secret behind the veil industry that mm-hmm. we work in. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so if you want to know exactly what your diamond is, if you want to value your diamond, if you want to know what you should be paying for it—I mean, that's really you know—in acquiring diamonds, you don't. It's there's not so much guesswork anymore. So, yeah, that would be a trip to the mine. And, um, you know, then I'd get on a plane and I have a box here of Argyle Pink Diamonds sitting over on the desk right now mm-hmm. um, that was sh- shipped in, that has all the logos and documentations. And Brink shows up at the door, or Malcolm Mid is my favorite high security shipping company uh, in the world, the Israeli company. And there you go. You've got. You know, however many millions of dollars arriving at the vault at the bank, and and then uh, and then the process takes place again because we take them from there, as you know, Judy, and we revalue them. Now we know what the grade is, but what's the value in the marketplace? And we work with some of some very very uh, credible organizations in the world that work with us um, to to put a value on them and a market value on them and you know if you look at the graphs for pink diamonds nowadays not all not all but some of these with the mine closed and supplies being cut off I mean they're starting to skyrocket and I I don't want people to think it's it's everything and you know when we talk about trade trust and betrayal I as you know have a little bit of an issue with with Rio Tinto and Argyle because at one point they got into a war with De Beers and decided that to increase their, their share value or the value of the company, they would make champagne diamonds, brown diamonds, the next pink. And, you know, sitting here, I have documents they must have spent tens of millions of dollars on. Mm-hmm. In order to uh, facilitate the story that brown diamonds had the potential to be the next pink, and it, it just—it was, never was though. It never was, mm-hmm. Judy. You've seen some of these, mm-hmm. some of these books, and I mean, the printing costs were amazing. But you know, to spend ten million to make a hundred million—I think anybody would do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, really, when you look at these companies, these huge mining companies, it's another story of you know, uh, of a a huge business saying and doing whatever they want to because who's going to do anything to them, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, but that's a story for another time, the war between Rio Tinto, these two massive, massive mining companies, one of them the diamond expert and another in a play to, to do what they ultimately, I guess, wanted to do was demonopolize De Beers, So all of a sudden, there's competition in the diamond industry, and that's a fascinating story, and we can do a podcast on diamond wars Mm -hmm. uh, another time. But for today, we're backstage at the Argyle Diamond Mine, and we also want to take you uh, in our next podcast to a diamond tender. So I'll leave you with this. That's what goes on at the mine. Please feel free to reach out by email or even text me at 604-999-8111. If there's anything you'd like to hear us expand on, this first podcast was from a few emails I'd gotten from people who are looking at investing in this hard asset class because of the potential in these stones. And again, and I caution, uh, not all Argyle Diamonds, are investment quality stones and we'll maybe talk about that at another time but also there are ones that are guaranteed investment quality and this is from the annual pink diamond tenders that argyle rio tinto had that i attended uh, with these very special invitations and we'll we'll get more into this so thank you for this week, for taking time to listen with us. We find it exciting to bring you this information and to really take you backstage in the industry. And I know we say that a lot, but it's interesting for us that um, the feedback we get. So many of our clients have reached out to us wanting to hear about Pink Diamonds. And so we're going to do two episodes this week and next week. And... Um, If you have questions, if you want to talk about this, look, if you want information on investing in pink diamonds and ones you should and shouldn't invest in, and we've learned the hard way and the easy way, which ones those are, and we can talk about that as well, um, please reach out to us. In the meantime, happy Canada Day to all those Canadians who are listening here in Canada and abroad. And uh, God bless you. And we will see you next week. Judy? Thanks for listening, everyone. No Steve. time off next week. <laughs> no fake COVID, okay? Did I see the test results by the way? <laughs> All right. Stay tuned, everyone.